So, good morning. It's uh, wonderful to be able to see you. It's nice to be able to extend my welcome to you as well if you're here. Uh, For some of us, this has been our regular place of worship for some years. For others, uh, maybe we are new to Granville Chapel. Um, So, if I'm a new face, my name is Paul. Uh, I'm the acting lead pastor at the moment. I've been at Granville for a number of years working with Andy, uh, for whom uh, you know we're praying uh, at this time. Um, So, as as I uh, extend a welcome... To you, we were praying before the service, and we prayed um, that, you know, if this is our place where we've been coming to worship for however many years, that, Lord, would you do something different in us this morning? And it wouldn't just be just what we do on a Sunday, but, Lord, would you meet with us in a new way? And, uh, and, and as I've been looking and, and reading and praying over this text um, throughout this uh, last week or so... Um, but I just even before we get into it, I just want us to take a moment to think, you know, how did, or I'll ask you the question, how did you come to church this morning? I'm not talking about did you come by car or did you get a bus or an Evo, but like how, how have you come? What's your intention uh, as you come this morning, as you're sitting here? What's your posture um, before Jesus? Jesus reminds us and says to his disciples, I'm, I'm with you always. And to know that Jesus is here with us now by his spirit, he is present to us. How do we come before him today? What's our posture? Do we come as those who have come, we we want to learn something. Maybe there's something new that we're going to hear from a text. Maybe, um, you know, I've come, I want to see my friends, I haven't seen them all week. Uh, This is a convenient place to be able to catch up with them. Have I come because I'm curious about Jesus? I'm not yet sure about who he is, but I am curious about him that intrigues me, that draws me to this place. Maybe you're coming this morning because there is a need that you're bringing before him. And you desperately want to meet with Jesus. Maybe. It's just a matter of passing the time. You're going to see somebody for lunch, and, well, I've got nothing to do in the morning. Or maybe some of us are sitting here thinking, how did I get here this morning? My friend said, I'll see you for lunch, but I'll meet you at 10, and here I am in a church service. What is our posture as we come to this morning, as we come to church? Because depending on how we're coming, depending on the one to whom we come and how we see him and how we understand who he is, that's going to affect our posture, isn't it, towards him? Am I coming as a curiosity that I'm kind of, eh, I'm still weighing up, what do I think about this Jesus person? Or is he my Lord? And is he worthy of all my worship and all my praise and everything that I have, that I lay it down before him once again, my trust, my everything? Because the thing that strikes me about the story that we heard read to us this morning from uh, Jay and Margie uh, are the contrasting responses that we see to Jesus. I'm reminded of something that Stephen said to us last week, that you know, our private faith might not be so private after all. That how we show up is evident. That, Jesus, that, that, that the way that we come before him, it's, it's evident to him. What stirs our heart? What do we carry in our hearts? We've got this story, the story of the Pharisee who invites Jesus to his house. 
and where Jesus reclined at his table. Now, this would have been a, a customary thing. Maybe Jesus had been teaching at the synagogue. And so, hey, come, come back to my house afterwards. Come, come and teach us some more, Rabbi. Tell us more about these things. Let us learn from you. And it would have been customary as well that if, if you within the community were extending hospitality, you invited somebody to your house, that it would have been an open invitation. Others would have come from the village, from the community, to come and to listen and to pay attention. They may not have sat at the table, but they would have been listening in. What is it that we're going to hear? Who is this man? This is a key question. Who is this? And so there were, there were many people who were around Jesus who had come um, to see him, but with different intentions and different purposes and different postures. And we're told in verse 37 to 38 that there was also a woman. And we don't know her name. We're not told about her in this account, what her name is, other than she has lived a sinful life. And she had learned that Jesus had come to the Pharisee's house. And so she came with this alabaster jar of perfume. A woman who had lived a, a, a sinful life. But she learned that Jesus was going to be there. And so there was something about Jesus that drew her to this place. And I wonder what had gone on before. Something had happened that Jesus had been teaching, that she'd seen or she'd heard about the miracles, that she had heard his teaching and for the first time had thought, is there a way for me? Is there a way back for me? Do, am I too invited in? The one who everybody saw and was known as the one who had lived a sinful life had yet heard something about Jesus that made her feel, I am drawn in, that I am included, that I am welcome here. Something had happened in her life. That when she heard about Jesus, she went to be close to him. And as she draws, she brings her alabaster jar of perfume. And in the presence of Jesus, she weeps. This sinful woman, this shameful behavior in the Pharisee's house. An uninvited guest, she, she showed up. And now she's the center of attention with her shameful behavior. The one who probably has been just kept away and ignored or pushed away or known only for her sinful life is now at the center. Everybody can see her. What kind of scene is she making? What scandal is this? As she weeps and her tears fall onto his feet and as they do, she, she unties her hair and she dries his feet with her tears. She cleans his feet with her hair. A scandalous thing for her to do, to let down her hair in public. The shame that would be attached and associated with such an act. And then she smashes this alabaster, alabaster jar of perfume that, that was not cheap. A year's wages worth to anoint Jesus' feet. So even if the people couldn't see it, they could certainly smell it. Like what is happening? What has happened? Well, Simon makes his judgment. We're told his name, the Pharisee, Simon, later on, because Jesus refers to him by name. He saw what was happening. And he said, if this man was a prophet, he would know who is touching him right now and what kind of woman she is. That she's a sinner. 
He's not saying, if this man, I'm still undecided. He said, no, clearly this man is not a prophet. Because if he were, he would just keep her away. He would push her back. He would keep her at arm's length. He would want nothing to do with the likes of such as these. And he doesn't know. But actually, Jesus goes on to say that he does know, and he knows much more than that. He knows the woman. He doesn't, it's not, Jesus actually, unlike Simon, is not looking at her and knowing her past. He's looking at her beyond that life and knows her future. And he loves her. And he then he goes on to tell um, this story. And this, Jesus' response then shows not only does he know who she is, but he knows more. He knows what Simon is saying under his breath. He answers him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he goes on to tell a tale of two sinners. And this tale has two parts. Part one is we get in the form of a parable. And he says about two people that owed money to a, a moneylender. One, 500 denarii, and the other, 50. Neither of them had the means to pay him back. And so he forgave the debts of both of them. And then Jesus asks him, which of them will love him more? To which Simon replies, well, I suppose it's the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus says, yes, you've answered correctly. Which of them will love him more? Now, in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, there is no, there's no kind of word for, or single word that talks about sort of gratitude or praise. or So, so, so we have this translation, we have this, to love him more, to praise, to worship him more, to show thanks. Simon says, well, it, it's the one for whom the bigger debt has been forgiven. And then Jesus goes on and says, and turns to the woman, and he says to Simon, do you, do you see this woman? Which, of course, he has. And then he draws this, that suddenly, from the spotlight of the parable, the spotlight is upon Simon. And there's this great reveal that goes on. And Jesus goes on to say that, when I came into your house, you didn't offer me water for my feet, which would have been a custom, which would have been a tradition. It wasn't something that was demanded, but it would have been expected. It would have been a courtesy and a sign of honoring your guest. You didn't give me water, but she wet my feet with her tears, and she's wiped them with her hair. He goes on to say, you didn't, you didn't kiss uh, me. Again, another, cre another way of greeting a guest as they come to your house. But from the moment that I've come into this place, she has not stopped kissing my feet. And you didn't put oil on my head. Again, another custom, another tradition, a, a gesture that would demonstrate honor and affection for the one who is in your home. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Just this repeated phrase, you did not, but she. You did not, but she. The, Simon has missed the opportunity to demonstrate and express his love, his gratitude to Jesus. And his heart is revealed. His posture as the one who has invited Jesus to his home he is, is, is cool. 
He hasn't shown the affection. He hasn't loved Jesus. He's sitting back and he's making up his mind. He's reserved. He's held back. He's questioning. He's doubtful. What does love show? Love that has been received, how does it manifest? How is it reflected in our lives? And here we see through the life of this woman and through her acts, the love of the forgiven. To know that she is forgiven brings from her this expression of love and praise and affection for Jesus to worship him. This is the big question you sort of, that, that goes on. The, the difference between Simon's response and the woman's response, her many sins have been forgiven and her great love has shown, as her great love has shown. Her, she, her love, these acts, there's no confusion here that it's because of the way that she's done this that she is forgiven. This is the, this is the response to what Jesus has done for her. It's the outflow, the overflow of the love that she has received to know that she is forgiven, that she has total forgiveness. That Jesus does not push her aside, does not keep her at a distance. And she is free to worship him. And she does so scandalously, recklessly, because such is the love that she has received from God, that she gets it. Simon said, you know, he doesn't know. Jesus doesn't know who it is. And yet the only person that doesn't know in this story is Simon. She knows and she gets it. And that's why her response is this incredible outpouring of love and affection for Jesus, of worship. What does it mean to us to have received the total forgiveness? Who is this that we have come to worship this morning? And what does it mean? So how does that affect our posture? What does it mean to us to have received total forgiveness? Do we get it? Do we understand it? Have we received it fully? Have we grasped it? Because I wonder, we say you know, that, that Jesus hasn't kept us at a distance, but sometimes we do that ourselves, don't we? I think sometimes we, we keep, we put a distance between us and God because we think that somehow, in some way, we are not worthy to receive. And, and in all honesty, we're not. It's God's grace. It's his mercy. It's his act. We love because God first loved us. But somehow... Somehow that's hard to believe. It's hard to receive. And if it's hard to receive, it's then hard to give. Because we doubt ourselves. Is it, is it that good? Can I really have? Is it, is it true that I have been totally forgiven? That I've been made right with God? That I'm restored to him? Because I think it's far easier to believe and convince ourselves of our failures and our, the ways in which we fall short. We're, we're well aware of those things. They they stare back at us, don't they? We're so, it's so clear, it's so obvious that somehow we then doubt his love and we doubt the goodness of God or we doubt that we're enough. What are we saying then? Is the cross, was the cross not enough? 
There's something that I must do to make up this gap. Don't we believe when Jesus on the cross said it is finished that he meant just that it is finished. Your striving, your work, your efforts to come to draw close, it is done. I have done it. I have made a way for you. What then is the, the only appropriate response to such good news? That we've received the, the reckless love of God that chases us down, that seeks us out, that does not push us away or ever give up on us, but is poured out for us on the cross. In this way that this woman pours out her worship to God in a costly way, smashing the jar. There's no gathering it back up or keeping any of it back. It's all in, all of it for him. Abandoned to him because we've not been abandoned by him. We're not kept away. We are invited in. It is finished. We are forgiven. We receive the gift of grace and mercy from God. And we can know peace with God. And in that place and in that understanding and in the presence of Jesus, we, like her, are those who weep with joy. The grace that is received flows through us. And it changes us. It's our prayer, isn't it, that as a church, that we will be transformed by God's love. And it's his grace. But we need to receive it. We need to understand it. Do we get it? Because the moment we do, it begins to change us. It begins to do something in us. And not just in us, but also through us. It changes our relationships. It changes our communities. It makes room for the stranger, the outcast, the unloved, the broken. Where grace abounds, there is love, there is mercy, there is forgiveness, there is healing, welcome, and generosity. The outflow of all that we have received in Christ. To miss this, to miss this is to be where Simon sits, in a place of bitterness and legalism, of arrogance and pride, to miss the grace is to be in a place of judgment and unforgiveness to others, to, to live under fear. And more than that, we, we put up a barrier to others to receive the grace and mercy of God. If he knew who this was, he would tell her where to go. But where grace abounds, mercy flows. And it changes us, our relationships, and the communities that we live in. I wonder at times who we impede from eating at the table with the Lord. By our own thoughts, by our own perception of the life that they live, do we see only the sin? Do we see only the brokenness? Or do we see... A child of God broken who Jesus is longing to restore uh, in communion to himself. 
And is it possible that we might be the means by which he is seeking to extend his love and mercy to them? What's our response? This is part of a series in which we're looking at, under the theme, I mean, of the year of this, of going deeper to experience the more and the better life with Jesus, the fullness of life that Jesus offers to us. Is it possible then that we can know more love, that we can express more love, that we can also experience this reckless abandon in our worship and to be so surrendered to Jesus that, hey, I'll make a spectacle of myself. Let people see what God has done for me. How can we love more? Jesus tells the story. Who is going to love more? And Simon says, well, the one who has the bigger debt forgiven, I suppose. So what does that mean? What is, what is Jesus saying? Oh. When Jesus says that, 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 that those who, who consider their own righteousness that they cannot love, he's not saying that they can't love, but the extent to which they can experience that love is like, is limited because they don't see their own sinfulness apart from Jesus, apart from the good work that he has done. So somehow, yeah, I've, I've, yeah, I can see why God would have called me. I'm a pretty good guy. We've missed the point, haven't we? The point of the story is 1050, 10500, but they were both debtors and neither of them could get out of debt themselves. So how can we love more? Is it, is it to sin more? Is that, is that the answer? Paul says, by no means. You know, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. That's not what we're saying. How then might we love more? How, what, is it that we, what is it that will release us in our worship and our praise for Jesus? What is our posture as we come before him? What are we looking to Jesus for? And, 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 is, and is our response to him dependent and contingent upon these things? Jesus, if you do this for me, then this woman had seen and heard because right before this story, we have all these amazing stories and accounts of Jesus healing and delivering. Incredible Acts of God's power and mercy and healing power. But the greatest work is here. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You can't earn it. He goes on in verse 50, just to make sure there's no confusion. He says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So how can we love more? How can we get a little bit more reckless in our worship? Here's a little warning, because you, you might be thinking, yeah, it's just not me. I mean, I'll, I'll just let you in a little secret. I have been assaulted twice in the same service by a woman in spandex, a ribbon and a stick. Such was her abandon, as she worshipped joyfully and ran through the church, waving and that Thwack, twice. I took it personally. First time, it happened. Second time. 
Like not all of us are gonna, not all of us are gonna, are gonna want to, to do that. For some of us, they're gonna be, we're gonna be free to, and actually, I must admit, not, so much, not the spandex for me. But there was something about her, the freedom of her worship. There was something about the abandon. It's like, I don't care. I'm just <sighs> praising God. It's like, don't, we all want that, don't we? Like, what is it to be in such a place of abandon? Yeah, I don't, I'll make a scene for him. David danced before the Lord. What does it mean? Because to meet with Jesus is not an incidental thing. It changes everything. Like if I was to say to you, if you rolled up, or if I rolled up five minutes late to a meeting, and as I walked into the room, I was kind of just like brushing myself off and, you know, sorry I'm a bit late. So no, it's okay, sit down, do you want some coffee? Thank you. What happened? Got hit by a bus? If I got hit by a bus, it, you'd know, Right? Like, it would not just be, oh. When we meet with Jesus, <laughs> something happens. It's not something that we can, oh, huh, that was nice. Well, that just happened. It changes us. It's dramatic. There is an impact. There is change, transformation. It's not something incidentally that happens. It changes everything. So how can we love more? One of the things that I love about this community, if you're here and you're finding out who is this church, who is Granville Chapel, and you're going to stay afterwards to find out a little bit more about what it means to be a part of this church, um, we're going to, this is going to be a bit of a reveal. Because I found, when I arrived at the church, however many years, eight years or so ago, it's like I went on this little journey of discovery of all these amazing stories and testimonies of God's faithfulness amongst uh, the people, many of whom are founding members who are still in the church, and since then, how God has blessed and worked through, and how this community has loved and shared that love has been so transformed, but it's just been this outflow of, of tremendous work. Some of you are, are at Regent College right now, at the outflow of God's love and His heart and passion in the lives of, of members within this church who sought to, to extend it beyond these walls to bring others, to, to help others share this good news. And so many other stories. But you wouldn't hear it necessarily because nobody would talk about it. It's like this understated, beautiful humility that exists within this community. And so me talking about it kind of spoils it a bit. But I say it because it speaks to the goodness of God and it's the outflow of his love and his work in us, to, to meet with Jesus, to know Jesus, to receive his forgiveness changes everything. We're reminded in, in, first, um, in first John that, you know, we, we love uh, because, or we love because, because we were first loved by him. So how do we do it? Like, how can we love more? How can we reflect that? And, and sometimes, you know, we've got to practice this. How do I practice loving more? How can I love more? How can I express my gratitude to God? I think it's to do with our posture. That we might love deeply, recklessly. What are some practical steps? And as we think about that, what it means to go deeper, just three things. The first is, like, we need, we need to refocus. We need to refocus our lives on Jesus. 
And maybe for some of us, that was the, for the first time where we're inquiring, like, who, I'm kind of, I'm hearing about Jesus. And I'm kind of liking him. And what I read about him and what I hear about him, what I see about him through the works of his people, through the love of his people. To refocus is to, to surrender our lives. You see, the question that is asked in this, by you know, the big questions, as Jesus says, you know, your, your sins are forgiven, they say, who is this who even forgives sins? That question has to be answered by all of us. Who is this person, Jesus? Who is he to me? And our response is either to surrender our lives to him or to walk away. Or maybe we need to find out more. So find out more. Who is this? Answer the question and surrender your life to him. Second thing I think that helps us to be able to love deeply is, is actually a daily practice of confession. It's an admission that, Lord, apart from you, I, I've got nothing and I can do nothing. And actually, I am, I am well aware of my wretchedness apart from you. Is confession part of our daily act? I want to encourage us this week. Why don't we incorporate it? Mark Anderson, a few weeks ago, gave us a beautiful um, sort of three practices that we can go in three times that we can be praying in the day. One of them is a, a prayer of examine in the evening. It's like the start of, of, that, of that day. There's a moment in which we can run through and review the day. Well, where, have I, where have I seen you at work today? Where have I felt the closeness of your presence? Where have I felt I've put some distance between us and have stepped away from your best for me? And confess that to him. It's a posture of humility, isn't it? And then... So we refocus, we surrender our lives to Jesus. That's something that we would do daily and throughout each day that we confess before him our need for him. And, and, and the third one is, is that there's action required to this. I'm told in Galatians, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. How do I worship Jesus? How can my life be a testimony to his goodness? How can I give him everything? What does it mean? I, I don't want to bring something to him that costs me nothing. Lord, how can I reflect your goodness, the love that I have received, that recklessness, that the cost of Jesus on the cross? What is my response, Lord? How can I act in response to that? Let me ask you this. When was the last time you did something reckless for Jesus? When was the last time you did something reckless for him? How can, we, how can we express our love for him through giving, through serving, feeding, loving, forgiving, telling others? We can know more. We can experience more. We can have a deeper experience in faith with Jesus. 
But we need to be surrendering ourselves to him daily. And I think it takes an honest posture that before him we would say, Lord, I, I need you. And I thank you that you see in me not just the person that I am today, but the person that you've made me and that you have cleared for me a way to the Father. And that you see in me, in my brokenness, a child of God. And you call me friend. Thank you, Jesus. Take my life then and use me that I may share this love, your love, and reflect your love to all those to whom you send me. So why don't we pray now? I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to invite David and the band to come back up. And just take a moment now and just quietly reflect on what you've heard. Not even from what you've heard me say, but what you felt the Lord has spoken to you or a word that stood out to you or where your thoughts went. And bring that before him. And if for you this morning, this curiosity about Jesus is such that you think, you know, I want to know more of him. Then maybe today is a day of that prayer of surrender. And your words might be, Jesus, to you, today I lay down my life. I give you it all. that question who is this that forgives our sins is one that we need to answer so Jesus to you I lay down my life and that's not going to be the only thing you're going to be talking to Jesus about but it's where it begins and it's a posture that says Lord I, I, I need you let's take a moment too to confess Lord, that we have sinned against you, thought and word and deed. You remind us that we've all sinned and fallen short of your glory. But you tell us that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and you're just and you'll forgive us our sins and you purify us from all unrighteousness. Lord, we receive your forgiveness through Jesus and maybe quietly say that to him Lord thank you I receive your forgiveness I receive your forgiveness thank you that you do not turn me away you do not push me back you welcome me and you've made a way for me And Lord, stir us to action in response to all that you have done in us and for us that you would do through us, Lord. May our lives be the overflow of grace that we may love and serve and feed and tell and welcome in your name that you, Jesus, will be glorified. We worship you.